On today's episode of the Savage Leader Podcast, I had a fantastic conversation with Beth Thorpe, the co-founder of the Mitchell Thorpe Foundation. Beth shared her powerful story about how she transformed grief into purpose, leading to the launch of the Mitchell Thorpe Foundation. The foundation is a tribute to her son, Mitchell, and it helps families whose children suffer from life-threatening illnesses. You can find out more about the foundation at mitchellthorpe.org, and you can check out her new book, A New Creation, at Amazon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Beth, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Darren, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I know it's a, a painful story, but if you don't mind going back in time, can you provide me the background for how the Mitchell Thorpe Foundation was started? Oh, absolutely. Um, the Mitchell Thorpe Foundation was born in 2009 after my beautiful son, Mitchell, passed away from an undiagnosed illness. After we took him all over the United States, my husband and I in and out of different hospitals searching for answers to his symptoms and ultimately symptoms came on at age 13 and he passed at age 18, uh, still undiagnosed to his death. So that was very gut-wrenching. It was also a rude awakening to our medical system about practicing medicine and there have been many times, I'm sure Mitchell might not be the only case in the United States, was misdiagnosed, but he was still undiagnosed until his death. It's one of the hardest things I think many people would say, how do you live with that? How do you go on not knowing? We had to rely mainly on our faith and to move forward to take Mitchell. And I told him he would not die in vain and that we would carry his name and his legacy forward to help many children fighting for their tomorrows. And that's exactly what we did in the deepest pain of my grief and my husband's, because we all were going through all of that, which is hard to come out of it. It was five years traveling the United States looking for answers, two years to come out of it, to heal and feeling restored, to even do any of this, what I call God's work here on this planet, because this was not originally our form of work. My husband was in the fitness industry. I was in the fashion industry. And after his passing, I was in really curled up in a ball, struggling to even see the light of day. And God clearly spoke to my spirit saying, this is not the end. This is the beginning. And I, in my spirit, that resonated strongly. And I had to look up and sit up in my bed and like, where did that come from? What do you mean? This is not the end. This is the beginning. It feels like the end to me. And then literally my husband that same week was at the local church here where he heard about two boys he coached in baseball. And my husband was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers back in the day. And he took all that experience and knowledge and was coaching the local baseball teams here. And two boys had cancer. One had Hodgkin's lymphoma, the other non-Hodgkin's. And he also noticed how the families were struggling to make ends meet. And he felt that calling to form a bridge to help many families going through what we went through. So he came home to tell me that. And he says, you know, I, th I really feel strongly that God's telling us that we need to form a foundation to help many families and many children going through what we went through. And I was like, you want to do what? <laughs> it was like, my, what? And I'm still grieving. And then I had to go back and realize what was strong in my spirit, what I heard, that this was not the end that this was the beginning. And I was like, wow, is this what God meant by that? So we literally got on our hands and knees and gave this foundation to him. And we followed him. And 
his leadership in this, in forming a nonprofit from turning our pain, I would say, into purpose for the greater good of humanity. Here we are now, going on 14 years later, and we've given back $3 million and counting back into the community, helping different families and children throughout the region through our programs with the foundation. That's such a tragic story, and but just also remarkable about how you, most people go through times of, of tragedy and grief and would turn inward and become bitter and become jaded. And you did exactly the opposite in terms of turning that, that tragedy into something just incredibly positive in terms of out into the world and helping these families who are going such incredibly trying experiences. I mean, can you just talk to me a little bit more about just in terms of how did you come to that place? I know you mentioned your faith and and so forth, but just how did you get to that place where you wanted to do this to honor the and create a legacy for your son and, and the loss of your son, but also just to get out there and help more people? Yeah, it was a very interesting time. At the beginning, we originally went before the city council just to get the ball field at Poinsettia Park renamed in his honor. Um, That was our first thought only, that we would do that in his memory and give scholarships to the local baseball leagues here locally to help play baseball who couldn't afford to play baseball because that was Mitchell's favorite sport. And then it grew bigger and God had a bigger plan than what we even thought. And he was like sharing with us, both Brad and I, like I said, we are both faith-based people. We just always look to God as our resource of where we are to go next in our lives. What's next, Lord? But he gradually, I mean, literally, I felt his arms around me carrying us along the way, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And then when he, Brad came home to tell us or tell me that we should start a foundation to help many, I was like, okay, even though I was still grieving, but then I felt in my heart that I had to pull myself personally up from my bootstraps to be a mother and a wife to my husband and to my other son, Matthew, who was also grieving, and to move Mitchell's name and legacy forward because no one could figure it out here on this planet how to heal him. And I think it was a driving force that fueled both of our spirits. And it really wasn't until we came through both of our healing sessions that we both had to go through, not only for our marriage, but everything that we walk through, because it is a very strenuous rock. We are happy to say with the foundation that we have kept 100% families together who, who have come to us married and not end in divorce or separation, because statistically, 78% do end in divorce and separation because the stresses are unimaginable. Not only the the fear and what you're going through with trying to get your child well, but then all the financial burden because one parent has to quit their job to stay with that child, to advocate, take them to doctor's appointments and so forth. So that's where we see the spiral effect happen because that's what happened to me. I had to leave my job from my other company that I started and to cut back and to be by Mitchell, to take him to all his doctor's appointments while Brad was trying to work nonstop to bring the money in to to pay off all these medical bills. And literally with great insurance, we left UCLA after a month there. And that was just one of the hospitals that we've been into uh, with a hundred thousand dollar medical bill. That's even with great insurance. So you're like, wow. But as parents, you do anything to save your child. And it really was the community. 
that came together that heard about our story back then. And mind you, this was before Facebook really got going. It was MySpace. If you, I mean, dating myself, but MySpace. I mean, there was not only social media, a lot of social media was just emerging back then. Mitchell's story was more out in print in the Union Tribune and, and people heard about us through that way. And the community came out for our family, which was so humbling. It forever changed us and they came to us and they knew how we were struggling and very good dear friends of ours uh, said, we want to do something to help raise money for your family. We know what's going on here and we want to do a walkathon. And we're like, what? And they were like, so they organized it. They said, don't do anything. You don't have to worry about anything. You just show up. And Mitchell was still with us at the time. And we wheeled him in and people like 600 at that time, 600 people came out and maybe even more, but roughly around that. And just people we didn't even know came out and donated and wanted to help. And it humbled us. It forever changed us. And we thought, wow, one day we want to be able to pay that forward. And the community literally helped us raise $70,000 to help pay off that $100,000 medical bill. Wow. And we were like so humbled and forever changed that we wanted to move and pay that forward. We said to ourselves one day. I think we tend to get so jaded by humanity and seeing things we either experience or read about in the news. It's just so incredible thinking about just the way the community showed up for you and your family. But what was the the next step in terms of starting that foundation? Like, what was that first step that you took? I know you talked about getting the the baseball field renamed in your son's honor. You talked about scholarships for for some of the athletes in the local community. But what was that first step to to start to stand something up that could actually have that broad impact that both you and Brad had talked about? Right. Like any business, you're starting from the ground, right? So the first step was to file the paperwork. Brad went down to the downtown San Diego, filed all the paperwork for a 501c3 for the organization. Then it's all about creating your mission, vision, and value statement of what we stood for and, and what we wanted the foundation to stand for. So then we were in the process of creating that. At the same time, we surrounded ourselves with trying to form a board. Two other people come on board with us when we first started. One gentleman was very good in governance, thank goodness, because we didn't know anything about that. So he helped us establish our bylaws, the governance that needs to run the foundation and the moved around the vision, the mission, and our value statement and how we have carried that through to this day. And then we continually to bring on different board members who had a heart for our mission. And that is a leadership trait. It's, it's titled, you know, inspiring a shared vision to lead others to see what we see and what we think we can do for others and to get others on board with us. So those were some of the baby steps in terms of the business structure of forming the nonprofit. And then we started with our very first program. It was all about learning. Oh, we have to have programs in place. So we knew at that time we had to form our first program and we knew it was under our medical and home assistance program. That is our biggest program and still is our biggest program to this day. Since then, here we are now later, we've grown into four different programs. Our second now has grown into our healing and rehabilitation program. And that covers anything that once the child leaves the hospital, that parents want to continue with therapies that are not necessarily covered under insurance, counseling for the whole family unit, 
for trauma and whatever that they need to stay together, as well as the affected child that needs counseling. We also provide uh, camps and experiencing taking, we want to create that sense of normalcy in that family unit. School tutors for the siblings that get forgotten because my other son was in high school at the time when Mitchell was experiencing all this and he was an A student, but his grades began to slip to C's and D's and he couldn't focus because all the stresses that were happening under the house. So that was all under that program. Our third program grew into our wheelchair and conversion van. We had a board member we brought on whose child died from a mitochondrial disease, and he was told us about helping families with the conversion van. Now, that's a very expensive item, but we help with the conversion part of the vehicle. We've helped families come on board with us to fundraise to do that as well, to get a van accessible for a child who is wheelchair-bound. And we're happy to say we've given out now six vans over the years. And then a beautiful thing that came out of another program we saw in the community, how a lot of students throughout the schools here wanted to come out to our events. We now hold our Grand Slam for Mitchell Baseball Tournament yearly. We now hold our Warrior Spirit 5K Run Walk yearly. And we like kids like helping kids. And we noticed that. And so we modeled our youth leadership program. We thought, you know, we should start a youth program and trains this next generation how to be good servant leaders and what it means to start a nonprofit, what it means to give back to the community less fortunate. So we started a youth leadership training program. It's been 12 years now. This year, we have 70 students in it from various schools throughout the region here. And we train them in servant leadership skills and also be active out in the community with all of our events and what we are doing in the community. So that's what evolved from one program to four, and it keeps growing. And it's beautiful to see how we can go in and impact families, young families who have children who are fighting for their tomorrows and come alongside them and let them know they're not alone and that there's a foundation here that can help you and support you. Full disclosure, I, I met your husband through both my sons playing in the Grand Slam for Mitchell Baseball Tournament. What an incredible experience. And I did observe those just incredible young people who I assume were volunteers as part of this program you discussed. But I think it's interesting is leading an organization where people are actually getting paid to work for them is, is very different than actually attracting and engaging and recruiting volunteers. Like, Tell me about how you've been able to engage people, whether it's through this youth leadership program or just attracting and, and getting help from other volunteers in the community. Like, How have you gone about doing that? Yeah, that's for any nonprofit, it's one of the biggest challenges. And even today is getting people to volunteer and give of their time, their talent and their treasure. And I think what helps us mainly is it's the story. It's our mission. It's coming alongside families. I don't believe there's anyone that has not been affected by someone who's been affected by death, illness, cancer, you name it, anything that has done something to a family that disrupted the family unit and caused so much disruption and financial burden and pressure. And I think they understand the story. They understand the mission of what we're trying to do. And I think people are drawn to that. And most of the time, we've been very fortunate, very blessed to have volunteers come alongside us with all of our events. Because yes, it's different from running a corporation where you're paying people to be there. Yes, right now we do have a very small staff. It's really three of us on staff and we are facilitator for our 
servant leadership training is on an independent contractor basis, but it takes a lot of growth. For many years, when I started the foundation with my husband, I did not draw a salary for five years. Luckily, my husband was working. We had insurance under him, but we felt strongly about having the money come in and being good stewards of those finances to go to help families. So it was a big sacrifice up front, but we were looking at the 30,000 foot level of the vision of where it can go and grow to. At this point in my life, I am now being able to, to pull us some salary. But at the beginning, like any organization, many people pay their employees before they pay themselves because they want their passion and their vision of what they see of coming from all this to grow. And it's beautiful to see now that we have been established. And it's usually people who say, oh, you made it past the five-year mark. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Usually after five years, it's either going to fail or you're going to move forward. And it was not easy. I have to say that. There have been many times we were like, oh, are all these efforts worth it, God? Is this really where you need us to be? And well, like here we are now, going on 14 years later, and the passion's still there. Just the healing of helping other families is a beautiful thing to see. And it's our driving force of what keeps us going every morning. Obviously, having that sense of purpose, that sense of mission, you both you mentioned in terms of how you recruit and engage folks, but also just what what drives you to continue to run the to run the organization. And 14 years in business, that's incredible. I know having started a fledgling nonprofit out of college because I, I didn't have a sense of purpose in my day job as a consultant and I wanted to give back is I know how difficult the fundraising process was. You know, for me, it was, I was able to find some just incredible volunteers, but gosh, the, the funding was, was really tricky because either you had these foundations who wanted to give all in aggregate to some larger, really great nonprofits, but it was harder as a smaller organization is I'd love to hear more about some of those challenges and struggles, both in the early days, as well as moving forward of, of running a successful nonprofit. Yeah, it is challenging. No question. That's the number one issue. Because, you know, as any nonprofit, there are many wonderful nonprofits in this region, and we're all battling for the same dollars. But I think for us, uh, we also brought on a grant writer that aligned with us to help us write grants. It's about aligning ourselves with the right mission with different corporations, for corporate sponsorships, for our events who believe in our mission and what we do. It's about aligning ourselves with that. It's about, luckily my husband was in sales before and he's like, well, if I can sell millions with this other organization, why can't I raise millions with the foundation here? So it is about finding that right balance of someone who can go out and he had to shift hats totally. And that took five years for him to say, I, when I told him, I can't do all this myself, I have to hire a development director. I can't do it all. And I was doing it all. And you can't do it all. Impossible to do it all. So you have to be good in your strengths and bring people alongside you who are good in what they do, who can take that and focus on those areas so you can grow to the next level. And literally, it took many years. In the, and so your audience knows this doesn't happen. Uh, success doesn't happen overnight. It's something that you build upon. You build upon those successes and you keep moving forward. And every year that we do our meetings, we have board meetings every, you know, quarterly and 
our strategic planning meetings as a as an organization for a nonprofit of keeping our vision of where we need to see the foundation grow from, like I said, we grew from one program to four just because the nature of how the foundation unfolded. We saw the need in these different areas. So you have to grow and adapt like in any organization. And we had to do the same with the nonprofit. But it is definitely always a juggling act of finding those sponsors that love your story, love your mission, come alongside you to help fund and underwrite, especially when you're putting on events to help underwrite some of that. So the money you do pull in, you can use it to pay forward to help with the families. When we first started, 90% of the proceeds coming back in went back out. Very little to admin and fee. If you look at most nonprofits, and when we started researching that, and we were disillusioned by how many raised so much money that went mainly to admin and and very little to the initiative, to the program. We were like, well, that's not acceptable. So we we <laughs> we were more about taking in less for us, but giving out more to help others. So I think that mentality helped us grow. And any nonprofit, is you have to have the transparency and the trust and the credibility behind you of what you're doing. And we have the highest rating on GuideStar, the platinum level of transparency when you're running a nonprofit. And it's important to have that. Obviously, the reason for the work that you're doing is for the the people that you're helping. Do you mind sharing just a story of of a family or families that you've impacted and just what that led to for them? Not just the you know the kids who were in need, but also their family and their broader community. Uh, sure. Well, there's lots of stories I can pull on, but the one that comes to mind right now is we were in our third year in uh, running the foundation, and we were at a family filled out an application and we were just around the corner, like three months out or so before our big 5K run walk. And they came to us and the child was born with uh, facial abnormalities, was not able to hear, and they really wanted their child to hear. And they heard about a cutting edge surgery. The acronym is ABI which is auditory brain and stem plant. It was not approved yet here in the United States under the age of 12, but there was a very famous surgeon in Italy who's been doing these cutting edge surgeries on children 12 and under to get them to start hearing auditory sounds. And so, so they can hear. And so as a parent, you can imagine you want, I said, why don't you wait? Until it's approved here. And she said, well, I don't want to wait till the, my child's 12 years old. I want her to start learning to hear now. And she was two years old at the time. So I said, okay. So we're, we're talking to this Pam family and they're like, and, and by the way, you know, this is out of our network, obviously for insurance and the surgery is going to cost 65,000 to $70,000. And we have to go to Italy and then stay there for four months. And we're listening and we're listening and we're like, well, okay. Then I said, well, how big is your network? I didn't let that number frighten us or let the family feel disillusioned. But I was like, well, how big is your network? It's going to take a village and maybe even a country to start fundraising for this campaign for your family and your child. But here is an avenue that we have through the 5K coming up in three months. And so the determination behind parents and their network and family, to make a long story short, they raised the 65000 they got over to Europe. The child had the procedure to Los Angeles doctors. And, and mind you, this was a surgery that many doctors throughout the world came in 
to watch and observe, not just on this child, but they had several children lined up on how to do this particular surgery. And two out of Los Angeles came out to follow this child's case back here in the United States. And now it's approved here in the United States for 12 and under. So she was just one example of a child and a family paving away. But we have many stories like that. But it's really cool to see what parents do go through. And we would just happen to be that vehicle to help them get there. Well, what a remarkable story. Just uh, incredible. Just the way you, you all rallied the collective resources, both monetary, but just um, the community and the access and so forth. So what's next for the foundation? I, I know you've, you've set up four just very powerful, impactful programs. Like, What does the future hold for the Mitchell Thorpe Foundation? Well, you know, that's exciting because, you know, I wrote a book that I did through COVID and it's been in my heart to write about it. Many people come saying to us over the years, oh, you, you guys really need to tell your story. It's incredible what came of this and, and how God used this, took Mitchell's story and did so much with it. So anyway, I got to it. COVID hit, shut all our events down. It quieted my world. I wrote a book titled A New Creation, Finding Meaning in the Midst of Tragedy. It just got released the end of June. It's only been out three and a half months. That's a miracle in itself being published by my first time. I went at, I went big or go home. I, I didn't want to self-publish because I didn't know anything about it. And I submitted my proposal to um, a big publisher in New York and they accepted it and gave me, wrote me a congratulations letter the week. I got that letter the week of Mitchell's passing in November. That's fantastic. And, um, Best wishes in terms of expanding the foundation who you've already impacted so many kids and their families and the community and, and hopefully so many more as you expand beyond your current area of focus. But Beth, you know, I, I know you're an incredibly busy person and I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Yeah. 